Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and class today is dedicated in loving memory of Dr. Bonnie Kazam. Sponsored by Renee and, uh, um, and Ezra Daba. Breakfast and the class, as well as dedicated loving memory, Lunishmat Tzviya Bat Yehuda Leib. Aleah Shalom, sponsored by Lindsay and Shalomo Suisa. Breakfast is dedicated and, and the class is lo- in loving memory and Lilunishmat Edna Bat Sarvi. Aleah Shalom, sponsored by Simon and Isaac Simantov. And breakfast in the class as well is donated, dedicated and donated in honor of Dana and Afshin Hedvat and Fariba and Nori Urizadeh for their overflowing generosity and love for their children, sponsored by Sarah and Arya Hurizadeh. As well, breakfast uh, and the class, as well as Le'ilui Nishmat, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniela, Shifra, Bat, Miro. <clears throat> okay. And one more as well, Albert, Diane, in honor of the wonderful Avi Abad, Danny Harosh, uh, and his wonderful daughter, Dina, and his uh, trooper of a wife, Bida. All right. <laughs> okay, let's begin. <clears throat> so Yaakov makes a very interesting uh, promise to God, and he promises Hakadosh Baruch Hu, "Aaser aaserenu lach." I'm going to give a tenth of everything that I have. I'm going to give you to God to Bore Olam uh, in 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 return for your kindness. Now, what's very interesting is the Gemara tells us that there was once a Kuti, a uh, a Kuthite. One of the, the uh, tribes as well that were offshoots of the Jewish people living in Eretz Israel, they denied the viability and, and the law of the Torah Sheba'al Peh, the, the, the uh, oral Torah, and they only believed in what it said in the Torah that's written. So in other words, if, it's, if you could show it to me in the Bible, then I'll do it. But if it's not in the Bible itself, then we don't do it. Unfortunately, that's not a possible way to live your life. As we all know, the Torah is only possible to be kept if you accept along with the Torah Shebekhtav, the Torah that was written, the oral Torah as well that was given alongside to interpret it. It's not that rabbis decided throughout the ages, oh, I like this explanation, or you know what, how can we make people's life more difficult? I know, two days Yom Tov. Right? The idea was not that the rabbis were introducing new things or new concepts, but rather that they were interpreting the Torah based on a misorah that was given to them. And as I always point out, if a person doesn't understand how this is logically imperative, then the way you explain it is by showing examples in the Torah which illustrate to us that without an accompanying Torah Sheba'al Peh, a oral Torah, the written Torah doesn't make any sense often. I'll give you a couple of examples. One example is where the Torah tells us that if we want to eat animals, then the only way to be able to eat them is by using ritual shechita, by using the method of slaughter um, that is kosher. So we all know kosher meat depends on the ability of the person who's doing the slaughtering to kill it according to the way that the Torah requires. In fact, the Torah says you should kill it in the way that I've explained to you. And nowhere in the Torah does it tell you or explain to you how actually to do the shechita. Another example would be when it comes to the mitzvah of tefillin. So the mitzvah of tefillin that we all wear on our heads, if you look in the Torah, all it says is letotafot uh, So we don't know what the word letotafot means. In fact, even uh, the word letotafot, the Gemara says, is an amalgam of two words, neither of which are Jewish or are Hebrew. 
Tat bekatpi, pat beafriki. Each of these words, they mean the number two in a different alternate language. So therefore, two and two is the four compartments of the of the of the shel rosh of the tefillin we wear on our head. The kutis at the time, what they would do is they would take the tefillin and where would they put it? Ben enecha. They would put it literally on the bridge of their nose. They would have like a horn sticking out. Maybe this is the idea that people have where Jews get horns. Either way, the point is, Rabotai, so a person is incapable of understanding Torah without the interpretation of the Chachamim, which was given as well alongside the Torah uh, on Mount Sinai. So when the rabbis are explaining to us these ideas and these laws, oftentimes they're just giving us an insight into what the Torah actually means. So Yaakov Avinu says, I'm going to give 10% of everything I have. Everything you give me, a kuti comes to, uh, to one of the great rabbanim in the times of the Gemara, and he asks him a question. He says, I don't understand. You said in the Torah, you, it says that Yaakov Avinu, right, said I'm going to give 10% of everything I have. You also couldn't call Yaakov Avinu as Ish Emet, a man of truth. But Yaakov Avinu did not give 10%. The rabbi said, what are you talking about? Of course he did. He says, well, look, Yaakov Avinu has 12 children. How many children does he dedicate to God? Only one. The son called Levi. If that's the case, Yaakov Avinu is only given one twelfth to Sedaka. That's the question that the Kuti asks the rabbi. And the rabbi says, actually, it's incorrect what you're saying. Like we learned yesterday. How many sons does Yaakov, how many Shivatim does Yaakov have? Not 12. 14. Because aside from the 12 that he has, he also says, Ephraim and Asher, Kiriuven, Vishimon, Yuli. So he has actually two more on top of. So the, so the guy says to the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, you're making the question worse. You're going the wrong way. Don't take up accounting, right? I'm asking you, how come he didn't give one-tenth for giving for, from 12 kids, and now you're telling me it's 14? The rabbi says, absolutely. He says, and what you're missing is a special halakha. The halakha says that a person who's giving ma'aser on his animals, he has to give one in every 10 animal he has to give uh, uh, ma'aser from. But if he has 10 animals, and one of the 10 is a bechor, is a firstborn, he doesn't give ma'aser. Why? Because the bechor is holy in and of its own right. It has its own laws governing the firstborn of the animals. So you would not give ma'aser from the bechor. We know that the laws of bechor are decided how? By peter kol rechem. It's decided by which child first comes out of the uterus, of the, uh, of the canal, the birth canal of its mother. How many mothers are there? Four mothers. That means that amongst the 14 children of Yaakov Avinu, there's four that are considered a Bechor. The firstborn of Leah, the firstborn of Rachel, the firstborn of Bilha, the firstborn of Zilpah. Yaakov has 10 children, and of those 10, he dedicates one Levi to a lifetime of service to becoming a Kohen, uh, the Kohen and the Levi whose service is given to God. The Kuti says, Wow, Yishtabach Shemo, blessed is the people who have you, who count you rabbi amongst, amongst their people. Rabotai, ever since then we've been able to cook the books. No, Rabotai, ever since then, 
um, what's it called? Uh, we were able to understand this gift that Yaakov Avinu gave. Now, I saw in this idea a very, ter- a very beautiful, a beautiful answer, and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's a very beautiful answer over here. This I found it very, very powerful, and you'll tell me, you'll tell me what you think about this as well. So there's a, a, a magnificent idea. You're forgetting Dina. There's an amazing answer over here. Okay, you're forgetting Dina. That's why. You count one out, but you can't, you've missed Osnat. If you're giving a 10%, who says you don't count it, right? Okay. Now, Rabotai, listen to this. This is very powerful. So we see that this idea of Maaser, when the Kuti asked the rabbi this question, why did the rabbi say, you're right, he gave Levi to a lifetime of, to, to dedicate a lifetime to Torah and Mitzvot. But who said that that was because of Maaser? Maaser is money. Maaser is animals. Maaser is uh, wheat in the field. Who said Maaser is on your children? Where did you make up that law from? From the fact that Yaakov bothered to go through the math and give him a question, it indicates, actually, that there is a halakha, there is an idea of Maaser even from your children. So I always wondered, maybe the rabbi only answered him a question according to his own logic. He's saying, according to you, that this is the case, Yaakov is still right. Maybe the answer is because since Yaakov is the man of truth, if the words came out of his mouth, Mikol asher even if he wasn't obligated, he was obligating himself. Maybe that's why. But I learned here a fascinating lesson. Our rabbis tell us on the Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Kabed et Hashem on Hashem mihonecha. Mihonecha means from your wealth. Hon means wealth. The Gemara says, do not read it mehonecha, ela michonecha. What does chonecha mean? Michonecha, it's a strange word. The word chen means something, something that someone was graced with. Michonecha means that which you were graced with. Kabed et Hashem michonecha means that a person has an obligation to honor God through every gift that he is given. That's true if it's money, if it's animals, if it's in the field. It's also true as an example with his children, as Yaakov Avinu explains to us. But the idea of michunecha goes much farther than that. If a person has a beautiful voice, that voice should be used to sing in the Beit Knesset. You were given that great voice. If God gave you charisma, if He gave you a dynamic ability to communicate with people, Fadal, go sell things on Shark Tank. No problem. But you should also be able to use the gift of persuasion to persuade people to give more charity. To, you should persuade couples that are fighting to give it another chance. That's what it means to, to honor Hashem michunecha from the gifts that you were given. Rabotai, every single person was given a gift. Some people's gift is a gift of a, an obvious one, a beautiful voice, uh, a powerful personality, a lot of money. But sometimes a person is given a gift that they don't often think of as a gift. A person might have a lot of, a tremendous amount of wisdom. And they think, this is the wisdom, I'm a poor scholar. That wisdom was also granted to you. You were blessed with it. Not everyone has the mental capacity to be able to study and understand things in the way that you do. But beyond that as well, even if people have the mental acuity, they have the IQ for it, do they have what's called the zitzflesh? Do they have the meat on the tuchus, like they say, to be able to sit for a long time and study in the yeshiva? 
So the idea of being a Talmid Chacham is actually an amalgam of many different gifts. It's a gift of the mind, it's a gift of patience, it's a gift of a sensitive soul. If you're someone who's compassionate, that's also a gift. You're capable of communicating to others a compassionate way to look at other people, also to look at themselves, to see or to forgive their mistakes. What a gift that is. We learn all of this from the word mechunecha. But Rabotai, the gifts that we receive in our life, they're not givens. It's ironic to think that not every gift is a given. Even though gifts get given, they shouldn't be taken as if they are given. And let me explain what that means. The Pasuk tells us that as Yaakov is sleeping there, there's a sulam, a ladder which reaches the heaven, and the angels of God are ascending and descending on this ladder. Now the angels of heaven, what did they do? What is their job other than to look pretty and flap wings? What is their purpose? So in the Christian version of angels, angels are just these holy beings that flit around and, the, you know, and they're hewn into rock on the outside of Gothic churches. But in Judaism, we understand that an angel actually has no inherent purpose other than its specific mission from God. So the angel Raphael, his job is to go and bring healing to the sick. That's why his name is Raphael, the healer of God. Okay? Each angel has its specific job. What does an angel do when he has no jobs? He just chills in the angel lounge? No. There is no such thing. An angel who has no jobs ceases to exist. He doesn't get fired. That would indicate that he has a self. All an angel is, is the carrying out, the physical manifestation of the carrying out of one of God's wishes. So when Yaakov looks at the angels and he sees the angels rising and, and descending on this ladder, it's indicating a very powerful idea. The Baal HaTurim points out something fascinating. He said the word for ladder in the Torah is sulam. If you take a look at the numerical value of the word sulam, Samach is 60, Vav is 6, Lamed is 30, and Mem is 40. Together you have 136. So the ladder, the numerical value of the ladder is 136. Interestingly enough, again, for those of you who are not Gematria fans like me, okay, the numerical value of the word in Hebrew for wealth, which is mamon, is also mem, mem, 40, 40, 6, and 50, is exactly 136. So having wealth is, is so to speak, indicative of this ladder because the same numerical value, 136, is also uh, the numerical value of the word oni, which means poverty. So the idea of money, the idea of wealth, the idea of blessings, and the idea of being bereft of those blessings, all of those are symbolized by this ladder that has the angels of God giving, so to speak, bringing bounty, and also taking it back. One of the things I like to encourage people to do, people say, you know, Rabbi, you know, I can't, you know, I'm thinking, what am I going to, when I'm going to retire, I really want to get more involved in helping with charities. And I always say, how do you know? Don't wait. How do you know what your life's going to be like after you retire? How do you know if you'll be able to retire? 
It used to be people 65, they checked out, they got their checks, and chalas. Today, the age of retirement is older and older and older. Some, for some, because they're workaholics, but for some, because the money that they used to have, it doesn't go anywhere in the climate that we're in. It's just much more expensive to live than it once was. And our social security services are heading for a giant crisis because it cannot afford, number one, the higher uh, cost of living that people were paying for for the last 65 years, and number two, for the increased life expectancy that we're experiencing amongst the, uh, what's called the silver wave, which just gives you an image of a bunch of white-haired people riding surfer, surfer boys and saying cowabunga. But the point is, the silver wave is a, is a phenomenon that we're all witnessing. So you never know what's gonna be then. You never know if you're gonna make it to then. You don't know if the gifts that you have are gonna be gifts that you will continue to have. So you have patience, maybe you'll lose it, ironically. You have money, maybe you'll lose it. You have compassion or you're a, you're a powerful personality, use that today. And that's what Abraham, what Yaakov Avinu was teaching us. That since he sees the sulam, he sees that there are times when a person has the gifts to be able to share. And there are times when a person loses them. Therefore, he promises God as soon as he wakes up, if I am blessed with these things, God, please bless me. And if I am blessed with these things, you know, from everything you give me, now the question is asked, why does Yaakov say it two times? I will give tzedakah, surely I will give tzedakah. Right? That question is a very powerful question. The Torah doesn't use extra words. Why doesn't he say, I will give it to you. The answer is that whenever the Torah uses two words, it indicates an element of hurrying up. It's like saying you love something very, very much. Indicating that it's much more. It's an accelerated version. Yaakov is saying, God, I promise I won't wait. I won't hesitate. If you give me something, you give me a blessing, I'll respond immediately uh, and give it to you. And as we said yesterday, ultimately the giving of tzedakah, not only does it pay off in the fact that you've given to others, but it pays off because God blesses you in your own pocket, in your own, uh, in your own needs as well. I'll end with this story about a young man who uh, unfortunately, as time goes on, his fortune, which was huge, eventually dwindles down and he needs to marry off one of his kids. Um, he comes to a dear friend of his and he says, listen, I have a wedding coming up and I know that I was always the wealthy one, but you know, the ladder goes up and the ladder comes down. And he says, and I need money now. I have money put aside. I have to be able to marry off my daughter. And he says, okay. He says, so how can I help? He says, I have a big business deal coming up. I need $100,000. If I have $100,000, I know I'll be able to make enough profit. It's not like a wishy-washy, I'm not investing in Jack's magic beans, you know, in some other country. It's a done deal. I just need to buy the merchandise and I already have a buyer, but I don't have the capital to be able to do it. He says, so I'm coming to you as my best friend. Is there any way you can lend me the money? The fellow says to him, listen, you know, I know that you say it's a done deal, right? But it's never a done deal. You buy the goods and then the guy backs out. What are you gonna do, sue him? And then I have to wait till you get your money back? He says, but even though there's a little bit of risk involved, he says, what's a friend for if not there to help a friend in a time of need? He says, no one even knows that I have this money. I've been squirreling money away every day, a little bit, every day, a little bit, every day, a little bit. 
He says, my wife doesn't even know that I have it because if she did, then we wouldn't have it. <laughs> right? He says, so what do I do? I, he says, I hid it in a brown uh, you know, cardboard box in my basement. He says, but listen, I need the money back. I've been putting money aside as well because I have two children to marry off. I also need to be able, same as you. So please be, the guy says, okay. He says, you know what, come, uh, we'll, go to my, we'll go to my house now and we'll go get it. Anyway, he goes to the house, he goes into the basement, he's rummaging around. All of a sudden, the guy hears upstairs, he's screaming, Ravel! He screams his wife's name. His wife comes running down, is everything okay? He says, what happened to the box? She says, what box? It's the box with the money. She says, we didn't have a box of money. He says, we did, but I just didn't tell you about it. There was a box here. It had tons of money in it. Uh, you know, a fortune, almost $100,000. He said, $100,000 you had in our basement? Why? He says, I've been putting money away each week in a way that we wouldn't be able to spend it. It's not in the, in the bank account to be able, and he, she, he says, it's gone. So she says, well, you know, this morning, I had no idea, you didn't tell me. I asked the cleaning lady, all these boxes were down here to put the boxes out in the garbage by the street. They go running outside, they look, the garbages have been taken away already. Immediately he gets on the phone, he calls the garbage company. He says, you just did a pickup at my house, at this and this number, and this and this street. Please, you got it. He goes, you got to tell me, did the truck arrive yet? Okay. Is there any way, there's something very important there in our trash by mistake. Is there any way we could look through the garbage? The guy says, listen, the truck has already left your neighborhood. But it's not yet dumped its, dump in, you know, its, its uh, load in the big dump. What we'll do is we ask, we'll ask it to get, when it gets to the trash yard, to pull aside, to empty the whole garbage truck in a separate pile, and you can go through it there, and then we'll move it afterwards. The guy's thanking them, thank you so much. They go down there, they're putting on hazmat suits, it wasn't even corona, they had masks, the goggles. They're going through, the smell is terrible. They're going through diapers and mabarif and vegetable peels and old food and six-week-old chulant. Everything is there and they're going through, they're going through until eventually after about a half hour, one of them screams they found the box. All the money intact in the box. They're screaming, they're crying, they're hugging. The man, he says, I want to thank you so much for giving me, for lending me this money. And the friend says to him, he says, you're thanking me. He says, the only reason why I went to go check the box today was because you asked me to lend you the money. If you hadn't asked me to lend you the money, he says, I wouldn't have found out in time and, and the money would have been gone, gone forever. So here's a fellow who thinks that he's lending a person who's down on his luck a hundred grand. But what is he doing actually? He's saving his own fortune. Don't wait. Don't wait to give you ma'asir your sedaqah. Don't wait to give your best efforts to use your voice or your compassion or your smarts. Make an introduction. Uh, be a mentor to someone who's young. There's so many gifts that people have and a person is able to use them immediately. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Amen. Rabbi Chalanya.